when you're talking about just knowledge, I mean, anyone can memorize facts, but to bring your own uh, spirit into it, I feel is very impactful. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the TF Cast. Uh, I'm Willis, one of your hosts. Hey, we got Grum here and I'm at the big kids table today, everybody. It's January 25th here in the Solarium. And I am your host, Jacob Bases. Today with us, we are very pleased to bring in Holly and Nicholas of the Lectern series. Um, Holly, Nicholas, whoever wants to go first, just let us know uh, what the program is about and how people can connect with it. Okay. Yeah, I'll start. Um, <clears throat> so the Lectern series, well, for me, it, it kind of represents the uh, essence of, of teaching, um, so what it is, is that we're giving people the opportunity to get up and speak about something that they are interested in, um, <clears throat> to kind of give a further sort of example of what I mean by teaching is to quote, uh, Martin Heidegger, who is a philosopher and phenomenologist, he spoke about how teaching is even more important than learning. Hmm. And teaching is more important than learning because what teaching calls for is just this, to let learn. And so a teacher's um, job is to require and encourage their students to to um, not only just ingest information, but to go through the entire sort of full circle process of learning. Hmm. And <clears throat> so this, this to me is, is when I think of teaching or actually when I think of, of learning, learning is the interrogation of information. Hmm. And... And um, so we can kind of see learning as, as, as very, to, to quote another philosopher, Hegel, he had a word, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but it's called Offenbin. And Offenbin was a word with a double meaning. And what it meant was to preserve and to negate at the exact same time. Uh, a good example of this is becoming. Becoming mm -hmm. preserves being, and at the same time it negates it. And so I see learning as a preserving of knowledge and at the same time negating it. So with the Lectern series, it initially started out as, a, um, as an event that would allow people to come in and actually teach and lose their ego and be humble and um, not necessarily just give information. So that, um, so it's not treating the audience or the students or the listeners as machines. Mm. Um, there's this expectation of the audience to respond from the input. Mm. Um, do you have anything that you would like to add to <laughs> just the overall, like what you feel the electric um, is about? Well, I mean, yeah, I think, I think teaching is really important and, um, I'm not well versed in philosophy, but 
I do know as a teacher myself that I believe um, in teaching others, we're actually teaching ourselves. Um, and I know the Lectern series has given a really wonderful platform for people to investigate topics more thoroughly um, and to share that knowledge with other people and to be challenged with it. And it's just really beautiful because we have in our communities, we have such diverse knowledge and talents and to have a platform that is um, available to anyone to come and teach and to share and to interrogate uh, their relationship with that knowledge that's pre-existing is just a really, really um, beautiful, striking thing. Mm. Um, and I mean, the origin of the lectern too, I mean, if you could share about course, Aunt Diane yeah. and her experience with teaching. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> it initially started, or the idea came about uh, through the, the life and actually the death of my aunt. Uh, she was an educator for 44 years. She taught uh, uh, speech, debate, and theater uh, to high school students in a very small town called Poseyville in southern Indiana. Hmm. And... Um, <clears throat> She very much valued knowledge and she was very encouraging to me uh, growing up and even as an adult. And we had numerous conversations over the phone lasting multiple hours um, about philosophy, about teaching. Mm -hmm. And uh, in, in 2019, right before the pandemic, she was transferred to hospice and I had, uh, um, Thankfully, it, was, it didn't happen um, during the pandemic because I wouldn't have been fortunate enough to actually go see her and spend one last day with her. And during the process or during the, during the conversations, I had recorded her without her uh, knowledge. And we spoke for probably about four hours. And uh, later on, I left to get something to eat, came back. She had already... Uh, been uh, given morphine, so at that point she was she was out. Mm. Um, though I believe still conscious, uh, and then she ended up passing away about twenty minutes after I left. Uh, afterwards, I came back and I I ended up uh, gathering all of the recordings that I had that I had made and composed an album called Finale Time, which is what she described as her death experience. Um, and <clears throat> a lot of the recordings display a very, uh, sort of a, a Nietzschean approach to death. And by Nietzschean, I mean by the philosophy of Frederick Nietzsche. Uh, she, she very much, uh, saw, uh, a positive light from dying. Uh, she sort of used her suffering to um, to basically uh, uh, see all of the positive things that were happening to her during her suffering. So, for instance, mm -hmm. she she was in the hospital, and she said, if it wasn't for her illness, she would have not seen the compassion of of all of the hospital staff. Mm -hmm. And she described these people on the recording as the salt of the earth, which means that they're very important. 
And it wasn't just the, the doctors or the nurses or the caregivers. It was, she also described the janitors and the cooks, everybody um, within the hospital. And so she kind, of, she kind of lived by this concept of amor fati, which I know she was reading Nietzsche quite heavily towards the end of her life. And amor fati translate, translates to English as love of fate. So mm. she saw her death as necessary. And quite truthfully, she learned to love it until the end. Um, <clears throat> so on the recording itself, there is a part where she talks about her lectern. And, and she had many possessions in her house, uh, mostly of German origin, but it was somewhat of like an antique store, uh, very difficult to get through. And you couldn't even see the lectern. I had never even noticed it, but she considered this lectern her most prized possession. And uh, in her words, it was because it typified her profession. Hmm. And uh, I took note of that and kept it. And I would say, what was it like, probably two years after her death, Holly and I had, had met that previous September. And we started discussing about possibly doing some type of series uh, where we gave speeches. And we went down to Indiana and harvested the lectern from my brother's <coughs> garage <laughs> and brought it back. And uh, from that point on, I believe we had our first lectern series. What was it? Like a month later, I believe. Yeah, it yeah. Was about a month later. Yeah, the lectern fit perfectly into the back of a CRV. Hmm. Um, and we did. We drove it back from Indiana. And uh, the lectern, you know, is already a symbol of oration and um, teaching. And so it's really beautiful. And actually, I encourage anyone to uh, go online and hear that recording that bit where she mm. talks about the lectern um because it's now it's now like a legacy that's kind of like mm. you know like we always i sadly never got to meet aunt diane but um we have a lot of stories about her and um i feel like she kind of follows us along with the lectern mm. yeah is could I'm, I'm i'm sensing a little bit of like a a through fair here with um uh like teaching the lectern and how she felt but um kind of like bringing it all together with um, like kind of like what's lost and how we don't have so much of an oral tradition anymore. Right. Um, and I, I think, I think that's kind of like what the event is getting mm -hmm. to, if yep. I'm like reading this all no, correctly. You are. Um, and the, the idea, I think that we hear teaching so much now and people think of it as like a profession I mean, the same thing as like learning happens in a mm -hmm. school, but I mean, I would, I would disagree with that. Cause like I yes. didn't learn very well in a school. <laughs> um, so maybe if we could hear some of like your thoughts on, um, how you intend to change how people share their stories and how regular like people can teach and, uh, just what you think of like how we share stories. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, actually a really good question and important aspect about it. <clears throat> I've. I've mentioned at times about the concept of what an expert is. Mm. And um, I know that it's very difficult for people to get up and, and speak in front of others and then to have to endure a Q&A afterwards. It can be very intimidating. Mm. But uh, I also kind of want to redefine what an expert is. Um, do you necessarily need uh, these um, professional credentials 
to prove that you are an expert. Anybody can be a teacher. Um, so it's, it's more about, that's why we kind of try to promote people taking their time whenever they're go going to give a talk, especially if it's going to be a speech, if it's, you know, sharing their work and they already have experience sharing it, fine, which has happened multiple times. Mm -hmm. um, but it's often that you do have to spend the time to prepare and be confident in what you're going to talk about uh, to, to some degree to get through it. Mm -hmm. Well, and I would also say uh, the setting alone, um, the space alone um, offers a really unique opportunity to share a story. Um, I know I, I personally spoke at one of the lecturings and I took something that was very uh, academic and very black and white for me. And I recognized that with such a diverse group gathering that that had to be tweaked um, and I had to add a, a different level for it to be impactful. Um, I also included like personal stories, like why did this matter? Uh, why was I studying this? Why, why is this important to me? Um, and so, yeah, when you're talking about just knowledge, I mean, anyone can memorize facts, but to bring your own uh, spirit into it, I feel is very impactful. Um, mm. Yeah. I I actually really like that. That's a, there's, there's a moment going on like in the larger, like American landscape right mm -hmm. now where that is what people want removed from education. Mm -hmm. You know, they, yep. they want education to be a list of facts mm -hmm. and then, you know, everything else is parenting. But I, I think that I don't, I'm not sure that that's like a good framework for like strong communities. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, <clears throat> that's kind of like you see a lot in the news around AI and and um, scientists being very interested in somehow uh, sparking consciousness mm -hmm. in machines. And right now, you know, when you think about a machine and we are um, sending it information, uh, we aren't really duplicating um knowledge or consciousness we're mm -hmm. to some degree simulating it mm -hmm. and so yeah i i th i th i think there there has to be to some degree uh, a different approach to how we see the ingestion ingestion of knowledge mm -hmm. and and what to do with it whenever we get it mm -hmm. and i think that that is to some degree requires a unified process uh, I like to call it interrogation, um, but it could be also um, simply put as critical thinking mm -hmm. and using reason and logic, not just basing knowledge off intelligence or I'm sorry, not intelligence, uh, influence, mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. So knowledge is, is uh, to some degree uh, something that is constantly, it's a state that is constantly updated. And what happens in our society, uh, from my perspective, is that people become very solidified in what they know, and they don't want to change their way of thinking. Um, so they become very dogmatic and ideological in some respects. Yeah, well, I, I don't think that there's a whole lot of time. Um, you know, with we've we've even everything once you get into adulthood, unless you make a real effort to turn away from it, is so heavily commodified. I mean, mm -hmm. to include education, yeah. um, that black and white thinking is mm -hmm. just extremely 
it is it's attractive it's comfortable yeah it's extremely comfortable (laughs) and i mean i often i i say that all the time is that i don't think that there can be any real um political change in our country until we see uh people who are either willing to uh forfeit their comfort or if we start like teaching philosophy in grade school because people just aren't confronting these issues um i know like one that i go on for over and over again is how like you know the outward facing opinion on violence in society is that it is unacceptable um but that's you know on an individual scale institutional Mm -hmm. violence is absolutely necessary for everything we do to happen and it is it is just like a switch of comfort that at any moment like you could just turn off and say like this this is happening like i am participating and it is cowardly to say that i'm not a violent person um right and that that just requires another layer of thought that i it, it isn't it isn't something that i feel like anyone would want to be i don't know i, I, I taught in that way right you know? yeah and it does I, I, <clears throat> I like what you said about it has to kind of be taught in primary schools mm-hmm. y- you philosophy is is very very important to philosophize and to critical think and um, speech and debate you know curriculums ultimately need to be uh, changed mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. Um I'm not entirely sure that all of the um, all of the different uh, what do they call them in school? Uh, whenever it's just like a primary so, subject, so like math curriculum. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, curriculum, yes, but subject, but like yeah, like a subject, yeah. <laughs> so, like math. Well, I mean, you said yourself, you you. You struggled in school. I struggled in school as well. I did like, too. I completely struggled. I didn't. I act. I did not go to college. Same. Yeah. I, w- I went to college, but barely. I mean, <laughs> high school was another story. Right. I mean, barely squeaked out of there. <laughs> um, but college helps with that self-discipline, and and there are some people that, quite truthfully, do not need that self-discipline. Uh, in a lot of cases, it's it's sort of innate. Um, but you know, these curriculums kind of need to change and what is considered important in society really needs to change. I mean, there's a big problem when when most of the budget goes to a sport. Oh, but yeah. it also makes sense because that's where the money's coming from. Hmm. So, you know, if education is is privatized and it really, the the profit is the ends then you're not going to see um, a speech and debate competition gain as much attention as the local football team. Mm-hmm. It's just not the case. Um, so, yeah, tough questions. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the, the privatization of schools is like a... I think that's a totally separate issue because a lot of people who are pushing for that are doing for it like on ideological grounds. I mean, athletics and entertainment is like its own issue and like that's going to happen at all the state schools. But um, I I do feel like a big reason that people, you know, they want to go to like a like a voucher system or something is because they just don't want 
current information taught in schools. And I I feel like that's really been like the last seven years um, where um, we've had really like uh, top level political issues be hashed out on the federal level, but you're going to see the biggest like ideological fights happening in these places where people can win school board positions and stuff like that with, Mm -hmm. you know, a few hundred votes. And I mean, if you even just paid attention to the school board races, we had ideologues who were running right here in Mankato and the margins were a few hundred votes. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. You mentioned uh, that a big part of the lectern series and, and this project in general is interrogating, uh, is it interrogating like your own beliefs or and i think you use that as a term that's not like an attack on the person talking but it's more of like work can you can you elaborate on that a little bit yeah it's it's more about questioning Mm -hmm. so uh you are questioning all the information that you're exposed to Mm -hmm. so if i look at even with experience to use an example if i experience something and i base my knowledge off that experience um, that comes from a very empirical point of view, but that's that also is very um, um, it it makes sense, you know. But it makes sense to me subjectively. Mm-hmm. Um, at that, you know, if I based all my knowledge off experience, then if you know, you can easily uh, lose that attachment to empathy. You can see someone else's situation and be like, well, I didn't experience that, so I don't <laughs> care. Um, but empathy, I would say, is, is a, it's an attribute of consciousness. I, I would not say experience and influence. I think they have to be filtered through our consciousness um, by using um, attributes such as reason. And then once you, uh, you apply reason to something, you use logic to decide whether that's good or bad reason, which again kind of touches on morality, hmm. which is like a whole other issue. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, 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 it's really the process of realizing it's, it's kind of, it's for the most part, it's very, uh, it's, it's like what Socrates um, spoke about, which he never wrote anything. Um, but uh, it was said or written that, he never, he, he, he would constantly be like, I know nothing. Hmm. I don't truly know anything because my knowledge is constantly updating and changing. Hmm. It's, it's to a certain degree in flux. Hmm. Well, and I feel like the community environment of the event too also adds a layer of that. I mean, we always encourage when we have a, a, a solo speaker to do a Q&A. And I mean, that was an initial idea. And I remember our first lectern, we were a little concerned that nobody would want to participate Mm -hmm. and it would be crickets and we'd be like, okay, well, thanks for coming. Bye. Um, Mm -hmm. But I would say some of the most engaging parts of the lectern series is that Q&A. It's that community Mm -hmm. questioning. Um, It always leads to very fruitful conversations. Um, And sometimes the questions are quite challenging. Mm Mm-hmm. especially if you you are the speaker mm-hmm. um but it's it's so fruitful um what happens it's it brings a whole nother layer to the series mm-hmm. is that community q a um that discussion time um 
I mean, we've had very long like Q&A sessions before, but... Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're longer than the actual talks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. So it's nice. Set up to support that well. That sounds neat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you, yeah, can you maybe zoom back out a little bit and just touch on the format, like what somebody maybe could expect showing up uh, or like curious about how it's going to go? So Mm -hmm. if they're curious about participating? Yeah, well, um, we typically do like a one hour social time, uh, cocktails to, you know, get everyone kind of mingling, uh, meeting one another, get comfortable in your space. And then, yeah, uh, we have had solo speakers where they prepare a talk or a presentation. Um, We have had writers. um, We have had uh, speeches. Um, And then we have also, uh, this previous year, we did do two, like, open sessions where we kind of gave a bit of a theme and let people work work around that. Um, And we've had a harp player, Amy Cordham, um, which was unique to have this giant harp. Um, we've had uh, people read fiction, poetry, um, play piano. Play piano. Um, what was the other instrument we had? I don't know. We had another instrument. But yeah, kind of, you know, just opening it up for everyone to kind of get them a little more comfortable. Um, so yeah, we're we're always open to whatever people want to share. And then, yeah, we usually encourage like a Q&A um, at the events where we have uh, multiple people sharing we typically end with another social hour. Um, but it's been really wonderful. And actually, I've even uh, discovered new things about people I've known for years mm. through the lecture. And um, Katie Boone is a phenomenal piano player. Mm. Phenomenal. And I had no idea she could play piano. And at one of our sessions where we had multiple uh, people join us, she got up and played this beautiful, beautiful piece that she had composed herself. Um, so yeah, really lovely. Mm-hmm. That's neat. Um, and are there dates upcoming that people can show up to, or is this, a, are we preparing for kind of a next season? Uh, now? yep. We are actually getting loaded up for the next year. Um, we're currently scheduling everyone out, but actually on, uh, February 25th at 6 PM, we will have Nicholas. Uh, he's going to be doing a lectern series. He actually wrote a book. In his free time, he wrote a book. And so he's going to be speaking on that. um, And that will be at 507 Record Street. Yeah. Yeah. At his his home. Yeah. I mean, we kind of, there were times where we were not sure if we should be having it in just someone's house. Um, But that's, that's been great so far. We've been, I think we've had how many at your house? Like Uh, three or two. Too. Okay. We did one indoors, um, and we did one in my garden. Oh, two in your garden. Yeah, I did. A, I did a speech about Walt Whitman, so we had to do it outdoors, and I did it in the garden, and mm. it was beautiful. Um, at one point, there were a bunch of birds that flew over, and very magical, very oh, poetic. Yeah. <laughs> locusts. And yeah, locusts. Yeah, I children. The cicadas in one of the. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. Yep. They, they kind of drown out the the speaker, which is I don't know. It's kind of nice. It is nice. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the, this is all, I mean, because I saw it, it's all obviously broadcast online, mm-hmm. too. Um, can you just go on a little bit about what the desired impacts are and, like, how you'd like to see the thing um, grow or impact the community? I, 
quite truthfully, I, I, I like the idea of some type of response. It doesn't matter really what the response is. Um, but, um, that's my ultimate goal. I feel that it's often that if someone is giving a speech and they don't get a response, then that speech is to some degree negated. Mm. Um, so a response is to some degree critical for speech to make any kind of impact. Um, other than that, I just want, you know, I want people to be able to feel comfortable enough and to know that they have a platform for expressing themselves mm -hmm. and to not be intimidated. And ideally, I don't see it growing outside of what it already is. Um, philosophically, maybe. Mm -hmm. But uh, how we plan on organizing the event, I think it'll just mm -hmm. so far remain the same. Yeah, we... <sighs> This is a passion project. I mean, we're not uh, going to lose funding or, you know, lose sleep. I mean, actually, the reason we began recording was because our very first event, we were like, oh, my gosh, will anyone come to this? This is kind of kind of crazy idea, right? Hmm. And we were so nervous. It was almost time we had uh, poet Eddie Micus, who's a very good friend of mine and a phenomenal poet and writer, um, former educator. He was our inaugural speaker. And I remember it was about time to start. And I told Nicholas, I said, we'll record it because people can access it. And that's what we're doing. Like, we're committed to this idea. We're not going to quit. Mm. And a few minutes before, people started showing up. And it was just, it was magical. It was like, okay, there's a belief. Like, people want to participate in this. There's a need for this. There's a reaction for this. Mm. Um, but we do continue to try to record because we do recognize that like, maybe not everyone can attend in person. We have had people from very far away watch, um, and we do like to try to record them because we do want a bit of a, um, like a resource for people. And I do know in the future we have talked about maybe even having like a uh, kind of crowdsourced uh, page on the website where if you have something that was recently published or something that you've worked on that you're very proud of, um, maybe you're not comfortable standing in front of a crowd. Some people have legitimate stage fright. Um, you could still share your knowledge, share your accomplishment there, and people can access it and learn from it. And um, yeah, so I mean, it's just all about making it available, you know? Yeah. That's great. Um, my last question is, could you uh, describe to me the difference between a lectern and a podium? Oh. <laughs> we were talking about this in the elevator. <laughs> I, I personally, I didn't prepare for this. I would personally just initially say that a podium feels almost like a place of power, like a podium does. I don't know. Like, it seems like that is a place for announcements and for... Rhetoric. Rhetoric. Oh, hey, watch it. We just had a really tough discussion on rhetoric the other night. We spend hours philosophizing, too. Um, no, a podium is a place with a concrete delivery or message, and it feels a little powerful, whereas I feel like a lectern, even the word just sounds a little more like renaissance, mm. and I, I think a lectern is a platform. Gosh, we've used that word a lot, but a platform for sharing knowledge. Um, well, and yeah, the, the lectern like 
So <clears throat> we have no idea when this thing oh, was okay. made. Yeah. And uh, so we, we were kind of like it's looking old. inside of it mm -hmm. and trying to find a date. And one of the interesting things we found was when you flip it upside down, uh, there was a, an old magazine that must have bled on top of it. Mm -hmm. And it just says Christie's across the top. And, I, and it looked like a headline. And so I looked it up and it turns out that uh, Christie's is, uh, is, what is it, an auction? An auction house? Yeah, it's an auction house. Mm -hmm. In and London? In, yes, yeah, in, in London. London. Hmm. And it started in 1792. Um, and this thing has been, it's, it's been repaired. Mm -hmm. I believe at one time the top opened up, but then they sealed it. Mm. Um, so yeah, it would, it would be kind of interesting to get it appraised or at least, you know, get yeah. someone to come in and, and look at it just to see when it would it be was cool to made. date it, but not to, not well, to, not to yeah, not yeah. to, are you I'm not thinking then that there's some chance it was like used in that auction house as like a, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm wondering yeah. that. My aunt actually called it an old lectern, and she said there was a place where the candle sat. Mm -hmm. And there mm. is on the right hand. Like but top. I don't know if it's for a candle. It could be for one a of gavel. those gavel things. Okay. Yeah, like you, you know. won. Yeah. <laughs> so but it's possible it was an auction company. Yeah. If you attend our event, you will see too. We do always place a red candle on the lectern, even yeah, outdoors. And red was her favorite color. Yep, red was her favorite color. Um, so we always light a red candle for each event um, when the speaker begins. Okay. Well, one other, my second, my last question now <laughs> is um, like maybe just briefly what you've each kind of learned about the oral tradition, either through the series or mm -hmm. um, through your own teaching careers. Yeah. Well, um, I, uh, like I sh shared, I teach right now. I teach up at MSU. I'm finishing up my master's. Um, I'm also a poet, a writer. And it's one thing to be in school and to prepare something uh, for a grade. And it's a completely different thing to prepare something that you're going to give as a speech. Um, I, I'm a little different than Nicholas. I worked on mine for a while and I just, I couldn't quite figure out where I was going with it. And I'm not even joking, eight hours before the lectern began that I was speaking at. One hour. Well, I mean, okay, first it started eight hours before. I was like, okay, well, I think I'm going to bring Emily Dickinson in on this, but I don't, I'm not sure how I'm going to connect it. But it was like, the information was kind of like transforming. Um, and I think you even used that word earlier, like how mm. knowledge is not stagnant. Um, it's always changing. Mm -hmm. And so even in researching additionally to give my speech, my speech kept transforming. And then yes, an hour before the lectern, I finished it. Mm. Um, not because I was lazy. I am a procrastinator. I won't, you know, <laughs> lie about that, but it just, it was very important to me and the level of care that I had to put into it. And I'll tell you, I was nervous. Um, I do a lot of speaking. I don't have a problem shutting up, but um, I was initially quite nervous. And towards the end of it, I was really shocked at how knowledgeable I was on the topic I was speaking on. And I think that's a a very common thing, especially with teachers, I know I've experienced it, is this imposter syndrome. Mm. Um, you know, Nicholas talked about, like, what makes you an expert? 
and I've felt that many, many years, um, you know, as I teach and it's something that I'm learning. Um, I am an expert at what I know because I know it. Mm. And, um, I don't know, it was just, it was a very great experience. And then the Q and a kind of blew me away too, because people asked me really hard questions. I was like, Oh my gosh, mm. I know the answer to that. Like I, mm. I know this, I am an expert. Like I have spent so much time with this and I get to share this now with you. So yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting process to do it and to do it for no grade, mm. no pay. It's just literally to share with others. It's very satisfying. Yeah, and, and for me, I, I mean, I, I spent a good probably 10, 10 15 years in isolation. Um, I, I spent about 14 years in, uh, in San Francisco and the Bay Area, and then I moved to Minneapolis. And, and from that point, I didn't really have any community after that. And so I kind of moved around Minneapolis and I ended up out in, out in a, a town called Excelsior. And, um, I had never spoken in front of people at all. Um, and so it was a completely different, I've learned so much by mm. like how to prepare something, how to make myself feel comfortable to be able to speak about something, um, in an articulate way. Uh, so, uh, for me, it's been a, a, a very much a challenge uh, to be able to 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 um, give a talk and kind of try my best to back up what I'm saying. What what if um, what if anything do you feel like uh, this this platform that you've created offers that um, others kind of fail to? Um, because I, I feel like that that is a big thing is people don't really mm -hmm. feel supported, especially um, or people feel like they're yelling into the void a lot. Mm -hmm. I would say that we offer um, accessibility and equitability. <laughs> um, you know, you don't you don't have to have a long resume. Uh, you don't have to have impressive publication, you know, publications in your name. You don't have to come with this extensive outline. Um, we're really open to everybody. Um, and I think that there's a lot of value in that. Um, and the fact that it is independent, like we're not, you know, in it for a profit where it's, we're just doing it because we're passionate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing that I feel like I noticed was a lot of the questioning and conversation maybe that that feels like something I haven't seen well introduced into a lot of formats. I'm sure there's some good examples. But, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But that seems special. Yeah, there's a that. there's a lot of really great events in Mankato, mm -hmm. like um, Writer's Block. Yeah, right? yeah, mm -hmm. and the Good Thunder uh, Reading series. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, I'm really glad you said that because those are all wonderfully established. Uh, you know, well-attended events that we actually encourage everyone to go attend these events are wonderful. Um, but we offer like uh, another level, you know, like another niche. I mean, you could come and read poetry if you'd like at the lectern, but um, I mean, where do you go give a speech? Where do you talk about, um, you know, a deep dive into a historic text that you took? Where do you uh, sit and 
break down philosophy that you've been studying for 20 years, um, there's not really a place that I know. I mean, if there is, please yeah. let me know. But Well, even for some of the writers that have spoke, uh, quite truthfully, it was almost like they were giving a thesis. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so in some situations, if, if someone's in, you know, like they were... He was in the master's program, right? Mm-hmm. Michelle yep. was. Yep. Yeah. Mm. And it was almost like a little bit of preparation mm-hmm. for that for him. Yeah. Um, I would say it was probably more intense than his thesis. Mm. Yeah. Uh, there were more. He, he, what he did was he would read some of his, it was flash poetry. Mm-hmm. Was it flash, f- flash fiction. Flash fiction. Yeah. And he would read it and then he would take questions after Mm -hmm. it and then he would go again and I think it lasted for about an hour well and it was really lovely because it kind of gives you a little more insight into the written work um, Mm -hmm. that you know you wouldn't probably get somewhere else I mean Mm -hmm. uh, some of the open mics and reading uh, platforms that we have it's very um, regimented and timed and so it's lovely to be able to kind of peel the layers back and hear a little more about the process and the creation and um, it makes it more impactful, um, a little more memorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. And if people are like wanting to get involved with a series, if someone wants to speak or attend, <coughs> like where can they go to find out about that? Uh, we do have a website. It's thelecternseries.com, not the podium series, thelecternseries.com. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> He's been quiet over there. Um, and then uh, uh, we do have a Facebook, too. You can follow us on there. We have an Insta. Um, and we you can reach out to us at email, lecternseries at gmail.com. Um, or if you ever see us about, like, pull us aside. We'd love to get... Uh, you know, a slew of people lined up and we're excited to see what this year is going to bring. Yeah. I mean, this, the, the first, how many months have we had it for about six, six? months? Yeah. yeah. So it's somewhat of a refresher, mm-hmm. uh, starting the year off and um, most of the other, uh, events that we held were, uh, kind of just, just on a whim, right? I mean, well, I mean, we didn't difficult to get believe it people. or not. We didn't have people like banging down our door, like, "Hey, I want to sign up and give a speech oh, yeah. for an well, hour to a quite, room full of strangers." That's still the case. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think people are. I mean, it's about spreading the word and mm-hmm. like getting people to attend or uh, watch a recording and kind of like feel it out and get more comfortable with it. But yeah, we we are really hoping that people will um, feel empowered to mm-hmm. um, come forward and share what they know, share their knowledge. Um, you know, it says on our website, if you have knowledge, let others light their candle in it. And that's mm. another reason we use the candle. Mm. Cool. Mm. You got any? Uh, no, no. Mm. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show and, and yeah, sharing this with us. Yeah, thanks so it much. Sounds, sounds really cool. Like you said, uh, where where would you go to speak about something you've studied you know we don't have well here a spot for that so. <laughs> we're talking about it here turn. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah, cool. there's also the podcast <laughs> we got yeah. some we got some options yeah. if you guys have anyone that wants to practice i let people do poetry and speeches at my open mic so ah, if anyone wants like lovely. a 15 minute 
practice sesh come on down see yeah me. perfect well jacob you might need to practice because <laughs> jacob said he's going to be a future lecturing speaker so do you have any idea what you would want to speak on um i'm probably i'm probably going to talk about uh what like the value i think lies behind speaking itself mm -hmm. and like how much i think can be gained by just like constantly meeting new people mm -hmm. which is uh like I, I think that my personal happiness has largely been enabled by these really thin relationships that I keep through um, serving people alcohol. Um, <laughs> and like this was even, this was before, I mean, I worked at Red Rocks before I worked at the wine cafe. And I realized when I started at the wine cafe that I'd never spoken to any of my customers, oh. but I would see some of these people every week mm -hmm. and they would be very happy to see me. You know, like just very like and like lots of people wanted like hugs or handshakes or like whatever. And like that feeling of community, no matter how uh, how like thin it was, really like I think up my personal happiness, um, you know, that and then like coming into a more like intimate place where I am like actually talking to people. I remember when I first started um, working there, I at the wine cafe, I would leave emotionally tired sometimes, yeah. mm -hmm. something that I had never experienced prior. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd be physically tired before because it was so fast paced. But, you know, then doing this through this program here, I've met over a hundred people and spoken with them for mostly, you know, like an hour or so mm -hmm. each. And I often think about how it's very likely that very many people will not meet a hundred people in their adult lives and sit down and have an hour long conversation right. with them. Oh, Very true. It's beautiful. Um, and I, I do think that people should, t I think that the ability to speak is extremely important. And like, if you're wrong, someone like you just won't like, you can type anything into the internet. I believe this, like you can type untold cruelty, but like, when you say some of that stuff out loud, like when you say something that's just wrong, even if you believe it, people like, like it's hard to like, to like you hear yourself say it, you see it, people mm -hmm. talk to you and you're like, people will tell you to just shut the hell up. Like <laughs> it, it, it's just not the same, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I really think that connecting with people and sharing your story and I mean, yeah. even like just talking about your personal experiences or telling jokes and mm -hmm. like feeling that social pressure, like mm -hmm. the ebb and flow of the thing is what we're kind of missing out on with this kind of great explosion of information that has made us all so much uh, more uh, full of information. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Nice uh, save. To continue on that too, like I'm the type of person I don't, I, I'm very bad at reading. I have ADHD and dyslexia, and my so my retention when I read something is I have to read like a like a hundred page book will take me hours and hours to read because I have to go back and reread stuff. So most of the skills or information I know has been from someone that was like excited to teach about it or like mm -hmm. someone uh, like I literally learned sound because someone didn't want to do it anymore. So they were like, "Hey, you." you want to learn how to do this so I can leave or something like that. <laughs> so to me, this type of thing is super, super important because yeah, like I said, I just, I can read articles all day, but I will retain what I'm taught way more if I can like talk to someone or hear someone speak about it. Right. Cool. That's lovely. Hmm. Yeah. I, I tell you what, learning is just a thing people <laughs> should be doing. Yeah. You know, it's not, 
I, I, every single time I dropped out of college, I, I was like, this is a dumb hoop and I'm sick of jumping <laughs> through it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I have a podcast. <laughs> I, I gotta tread softly. Cause like I said, I teach, I teach at MSU, but I actually, I, I feel the same way. And well, I've had experiences like that in my past, which I think makes me very passionate about teaching and you know like I love what you shared too about how you know hey I can't read at the same rate as everyone else mm -hmm. and like it's very effective for me to hear this and I think that's beautiful like mm -hmm. to um, accommodate on so many different levels and mm -hmm. to um, respond to the community as individuals and as people and not as just like units and mm -hmm. this is what you get here you go yeah. um, and I, I think that's important. Well, I mean, it, I'll, to add to that statement, I am very pro Like, I want education to be wild, widely available. I wish the you way know. that, like, higher learning institutions worked is that you went in and you just attended. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I do think that having it be all, like, based upon credentials and, like, seeking a certain mm -hmm. piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I, there's lots of things I would love to learn about. Mm -hmm. But, like, every time I've I've gone down that road. I've never had a job in mind that I wanted at the mm -hmm. other side of it. So it's like, is like, I could always just get a book. Like, is the debt mm -hmm. worth mm -hmm. it? Right. Um, and that's, I mean, I just like, I, I really think that higher education should at least on the state level be publicly available mm -hmm. to people so that they can just like find out what interests them. Yeah. When I lived in California, I chose, and this was right after, I graduated high school and I moved to California, was thinking about universities. And then suddenly I decided to go to a very small herbal medicine school <laughs> where I learned about just plants and I lived on the property and I lived in a tent for a year <laughs> and it was a wonderful experience. Um, but during that time I learned how to develop websites. And so because of that and just you know, learning on my own, that's what I've done for the past 15 years. Mm -hmm. And I've been able to support myself without having that debt. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm not, um, you know, I don't, but, but there's still parts of me that kind of want to go back to school. Mm -hmm. Like I want to try it and I want to do it. Um, so. Yeah. I, I feel that like if I, if I had any kind of real, if I could, put myself in a direction that, you know, if I had some kind of dream that wasn't what I'm currently working on, mm. I would certainly be doing something about it, mm -hmm. you know? So it, they're, they're just, it, it has something to do, it has something to do with like how people will become like there's, it's, it is not even necessarily even just capital debt, like the amount of money you owe, there's like a social debt to the thing too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's probably best for, another time or maybe I can jab about it on the lectern. Hey. <laughs> I was going to say that could be our motto. Like in the meantime, before college, come to the lectern. <laughs> Get over your fears. Yeah. <laughs> well, Hey, thanks for coming on. And yeah, thanks um, for having if us. you're yeah, still you. listening, go to the lectern website and then the show. Then <laughs> <laughs> Watch the stream while you're there. <laughs> thanks guys. Thank you. Thanks.